What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Happy freaking Monday. Welcome to the Vanguard Project. This is the second episode of 2022, and I am super excited. As a refresher, this podcast focuses on telling stories. Uh, I've tried to sum up my mission as growth through story, strength through community. And uh, what I mean by that is uh, I sit down with folks and have them share their stories with the goal of picking their brain on lessons learned, diving into their experiences, mindsets, and tools developed to hopefully share with you. Uh, My goal is that uh, as you listen, uh, you can take things away from these guests and uh, get you excited about something, maybe motivated, find a community to join in, or tools that you can take back to your day-to-day life and maximize your life experience with. Uh, With all that being said, I do my best to let the interviewee tell their story and uh, practice active listening to dive deeper into the conversation. Uh, So that's my style. Uh, I hope you all take uh, some awesome tidbits away as uh, I've learned an incredible amount uh, from the folks I've sat down with and have been repeatedly humbled uh, by all of those I've engaged with. Uh, Along the same lines, I'm extremely fortunate to be supported by several companies in this venture. Uh, People like Everly Stock, Black Rifle Coffee, Mountain Primal, and Bravo Concealment. Uh, In the episode description uh, will be the codes uh, I would love for you all to use and get great deals on. Uh, Each week will be brought to you by one of these amazing companies. Uh, This week is brought to you by Everly Stock, and I'm extremely honored to have been a friend of the brand and of the people for several years now. Uh, They are amazing people and produce some of the best damn gear I've ever played with. Uh, One of my favorite pieces is the Bruno hoodie. They come in a variety of colors, which means it includes a gray. So it is indeed public friendly. You don't necessarily have to wear camo. Uh, But they are super soft, lightweight uh, hoodie designed to keep, really they're designed to keep the sun off your skin, but function as a awesome as an awesome base layer for hunting hiking snowshoeing coffee shop visits or casual fridays at the office um i would love for you all to call tucker at the retail store uh let them know that i sent you and uh maybe get one two three maybe five whatever the case may be but enough chat i've tried so many times to get this word or these words out and i had to type it up because i was rambling on and on so let's get an awesome episode rolling with mr shane meisel of loophole What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you new to the show, my name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I'm just some dude outside of Boise, Idaho, who uh, I've been really fortunate to get connected with some folks and uh, start this podcast. And my goal with it is really to uh, share their stories, help them share some of the lessons learned, some of the things that they've gone through to get to where they're at, and hopefully give you some good insight, frame of reference, and maybe something to lean on to uh, try something new, get excited, or maybe find a new hobby. With that being said, I've got Mr. Shane Meisel on the phone with me, and uh, Shane works at Loophole, and I'm super excited because he and I connected. I totally did a little uh, a Google stalking on him. I was telling him a little bit. I'm like, he seems like the kind of guy I want to talk to. So Shane, I know we're talking just before Christmas, so happy almost Christmas. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Yeah. So normally how this goes is um, if you don't mind just kind of introducing yourself and uh, kind of what you do, and then I'll start to interrupt and kind of just ask some questions along the way. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name's Shane. I run marketing over at Loophold, uh, the sports optics company. Um, and that's, that's basically me. That's my identity at this point. Uh, I've got, 
two and a half kids, as I like to say. I've got two children <laughs> and a step stepdaughter uh, that I'm raising. We live here at, uh, in Oregon, just outside of Portland, where uh, Loopholds corporate headquarters are um, and where we've been for over 114 years. Um, I'm from Oregon, born and raised, went to the University of Oregon uh, for my undergrad, went and got my master's at Portland State. Um, kind of lived all over the state, but uh, yeah, Pacific Northwest, born and raised. That's awesome. I like I like how humbly you put that. I run marketing at Leupold. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like the the audience that I target knows Leupold very well. So, did you kind of grow up in the industry, you know, or did you develop the love for the outdoors and hunting and down um, the road? So, I did not grow up in the industry at all. I mean, I grew up, as I said, in the Pacific Northwest. So. Um, there were a lot of outdoor experience, you know, being a, a boy scout growing up and then just going backpacking and camping with my dad and, and those sorts of things. So the outdoors were not new, but the hunting industry was new. I, I actually started my career um, out of college with a company called Geldwin, which is a window and door manufacturing uh, company that uh, was based here in Oregon, was the world's largest window and door manufacturing company. Um, and then um, from there, I went to work at a company called uh, Stanley Black & Decker, which does tools. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, so what I was doing at both of those companies was product marketing, uh, basically. You know, there's there's different titles at different companies, but the roles are basically the same. That's either product marketing manager, product line manager, or category manager, or brand manager. But a lot of the, a lot of the tasks are very, very similar. Um, and so I was doing that. And there was a friend of mine from college that worked at Leupold in the IT department. And there was an opening in their product marketing group for a binocular and spotting scope manager. And he called me and was like, Hey, isn't this kind of what you do? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. So um, I ended up interviewing and uh, got the job. And that was, that was over 10 years ago. And, and then sort of just progressed within the company um, as a, as I said, I started the product marketing manager at, for binoculars and spotting scopes here at Leupold. And then I took over as the trade marketing manager in the marketing department. Then I became the director of international sales and marketing. And then we did a little bit of a reorg and moved all marketing back under one, one department. And then that's, uh, that's what I do now is I run that, that business unit, if you will. Yeah, that's a journey. So did you did you spend? Uh, so I know that you and I talked about this before we started recording, but what's your what's your education background? I mean, did you come with a ton of experience in marketing or did you fall into that? Um, I, I, I fell into it, but, you know, not to be too new age. I feel like I was always drawn to it. You know, when I was growing up and people would ask me what I want to do when I got beyond the I want to be a firefighter astronaut phase. Um, you know, I would always say I want to be in marketing and I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, mm -hmm. but I knew I didn't want to be in sales. Um, and that was kind of it. So I just came to it. And when I graduated, um, from college, so I got my degree in economics. Um, so I was much more, uh, you know, I'm sort of analytical by nature and a numbers guy by nature and really enjoyed economics and economic theory and being able to predict human behavior um, using, you know, scarcity of resources and motivations and intrinsic utility and those sorts of things. Um, that was all very fascinating to me. So I, I went and got that degree. Um, 
And then like we were talking before the show, when you have an economics degree, what do you do then? Right. The, the, the career opportunities available to you right out of school when you're that young, when you think is basically I can go become a financial advisor at, you know, AXA or country financial or whatever the, the companies are that sort of recruit those college age kids and, you know, pimp my my internal list to see if they let me tell them how to manage their funds as a 22, 23 year old kid. Um, or I can try and do something else. I was very fortunate. Uh, either the University of Oregon, where I went to school, has a career fair with they would, that they would bring in a lot of big companies they, to recruit young kids. And one of those companies was Geldwin. I did the initial interviews with them. They make you take, um, and they're, they're, they would come to the, the company or I'm sorry, they would come to the, the colleges around, around Oregon, Washington, Idaho, um, that sort of area to recruit kids to become group managers and enter into their management development program. Um, the group managers were people that ran an assembly line or a manufacturing line at the different production facilities. Um, that was what they were mainly recruiting for. Uh, but they made you take a, an aptitude test before you could progress in the, in the, um, along the process. And I, I took the aptitude test and based on that score, they said, you know what, we're going to send you to corporate and we want you to, um, work as an associate product marketing manager, hmm. um, which was very, very cool. So I, I, took that job and I moved to Klamath Falls, Oregon, which is a, you know, the whole Klamath basin is about 25,000 people or it was back then. Yeah. Um, so real small town um, type feel, but actually a really neat, uh, a really neat transition for, you know, still a young kid out of school and trying to figure things out that there was a lot of um, familiarity with people. I mean, there was a really family feel to that company. So you didn't get yourself in too much trouble, right? You didn't get lost in New York or something like that and, sure. and, and go down too, too deep of a rabbit hole. Um, but anyway, so I went and started doing that job and the, my boss at the time, he got promoted about six months in, or maybe eight months into that job. And so they, they then promoted me into the, um, product marketing manager role for what was called the style and rail division, which is all wood doors, interior and exterior wood doors. Um, so as a 23 year old kid, I'm running a $300 million division. Yeah. Um, and that was, and so I, so I got very, very lucky. Um, I think Geldwin was a very smart company in that they, they went and they recruited potential talent they gave them the freedom and the tools to succeed or fail, but not fail too big. Sure. And, um, and it, it allowed me to grow. And so that's how, you know, short story long, that's how I sort of really got into marketing. Okay. Something I always wanted to do, but just got dumb lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And then that sort of set the trajectory of my career moving forward. Okay. So a couple of things I'm thinking about, and I know that you were not to get new agey, but when you were talking about kind of the feeling of being drawn into marketing, right? I know that my audience is pretty, pretty young, right? I think that either active duty coming out of, you know, whatever, going into college. And that I think probably speaks to some folks. Can you talk about what that feeling of being drawn to marketing was so that maybe people can help identify that for themselves? Yeah, I think it's, 
it's very difficult to to put words on it um you know with all the electronics that we have nowadays and and just the the sort of societal programming we have most people have shut off what's called their intuition um or what people call intuition i don't know maybe there's other words for it sixth sense or whatever you want to call it um but if you and that's actually one of the neat things about the outdoors if you actually get into the outdoors and turn off all those external distractions and just sort of sit quietly for a little bit and just listen to you know the birds and the wind and the trees and all that sort of thing your your mind will start sort of telling you things um and so it's hard for me to identify it wasn't like there was a voice saying you should go to marketing but it was always like whenever anything about marketing came on television or anyone talked about marketing it just was you know in in my gut something that was that just sparked an interest there was an internal sort of like flash of of focus um and then you know and then i had people in my life that would you know i would always make jokes or you know come up with creative sayings that i thought were creative at the time now they're I'm sure very juvenile and, <laughs> and stupid, but you know, I, my dad or, or, um, you know, teachers would always be like, you'd be a great marketer. They had no idea what that actually meant either. You know, <laughs> what, what it truly means to be a marketer, but, um, you know, that there was just so many different subtle signs pointing in that direction. Yeah. Okay. So maybe the, the dumb question then is why, why study economics? Cause the reason you, studied economics is very much the same reason I studied economics, right? Yeah. Is I liked the way that I thought about it, kind of knowing that my marketing does tap into psychology, but the economics was much more mathematically based psychology. The way I kind of thought about it is like when you make a decision, okay, what are, what were the obvious signs that dictated the, de- the decision being made? Right. Why did you study economics versus marketing? Um, si- similar is that I was just drawn to it. Um, I took some low level econ classes. I was originally, so when I got to school, I had, I, I went through five different majors until I figured out what I wanted to do. Right. Yeah, I started, right. I had a, I was a physics major. Um, then I was a, a psychology major. I was a poli sci major. I was a business major. And then I was an econ major. Um, nice. Uh, in those business classes. So I was trying to, you know, I was doing actually what you should do in college, which is figuring out what you like. Um, unfortunately, that's a little expensive to do in college, but um, whatever. I made a lot of mistakes and, and got to where I'm go- I am. So it worked out. Um, but in those in initial business courses, they make you take the econ courses, uh, just the low level ones, you know, the 202, 203 courses. And that I found those fascinating. Um, I really enjoyed the ability, you know, I did not get into the econometrics and data regression analysis and, you know, three times standard deviations and all those sorts of things. Like I can do it, but that was more just like a, a necessary evil to the other piece of it, which was being able to lay out predictive models of behavior yeah. based on known and unknown factors. Um, I found that very fascinating. And I actually think that ties very, very well into marketing or at least how, how I do marketing, right? So marketing has got a lot of different facets, right? There's functional marketing sort of execution pieces where you've got your signage in stores or you've got your 
promotions or you've got to send an email or do digital advertisement. Then there's the branding component of things, right? Where you're trying to make sure uh, you leave a feeling with the consumer that the consumer has a certain um, opinion about your company based on the name of it, really. I mean, branding, when you boil it all down, is just how you want a person to feel about your company when mm -hmm. they leave. Um, but I look at marketing overall as, um, as problem solving. I think it's actually a very strategic uh, venture. And um, how do I explain this? To, to use a sports analogy, I, I look at marketing as a quarterback on a football team where, and like sales is your running back or receiver, right? So the quarterback has to come up to the line, survey the field, understand what's probably going to happen, call a play and then execute right now that they drop back, they have to hand the ball off and other people on that team have to run that play and execute it. So having that economics background and being able to sort of theorize or put in predictive models of how things should transpire based on a bunch of different, you know, factors, I think actually really helps you be a, a solid strategic marketer. Okay. Now, again, that's, that's sort of at the very high level of marketing. There's a lot of different roles within marketing that, have nothing to do with that, right? If I want to be a graphic designer or a videographer or a copywriter or um, even like a social media manager or a digital marketing manager, like mm, that's not necessarily, you know, economics probably wouldn't have helped me there. Sure. Uh, but the path that I went to and then where I ended, it made perfect sense because they were much more um, about solving larger problems through the use of marketing tools than they were executing marketing. Okay. So in your early days, then do you feel like you learned a lot of the skills needed to kind of look at that high level picture and be able to <clears throat> discern the types of problems you need to solve? Because like, I, I totally, I can picture, you know, at least in, in my life and my work too, right? Like I can totally conceptualize, <clears throat> excuse me, what you're saying, but like, there's a lot of in, in, like intricacies there. Did you, how did you learn and develop into those areas? Um, I, I, that's a great question. And honestly, I, it's trial, it was trial and error. Um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, but I, one of the things that I'm very, um, I think has served me very well in my life is a, is a relative lack of ego. And I will make the joke, like I'm the humblest person I know, <laughs> you know, but, um, I've never approached any situation or I've tried not to approach any situation saying, I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, so I've always walked in. So I've, oh, I, how do I phrase this? Any one of my high school or college coaches will tell you I am highly coachable. Um, my CEO right now will tell you I'm highly coachable because yeah. I want to learn and I want to get better. Um, and so that's sort of how I developed. I never went into any situation thinking, wow, I got this job because I'm the best. I went into every situation almost with a, with a little bit of imposter syndrome where it's like, I can't believe I have this job. I hope I don't fuck it up. Right. Um, and so because of that, I was always eager to learn and get information from other people that would know more than me or, um, you know, do research online or, or just figure out how to do something 
um, as best I could. And, and, and that's how I was able to, 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 to learn all of those tools was basically to summarize it, I guess, is, is being humble and, and accepting that knowing that I was going to succeed no matter what, but knowing that I had to figure out how to do it and it wasn't just going to happen. Um, I mean, that's one of the, the most powerful, I guess, lessons of life that I learned is so I got that initial job at gelled one and then I, and I got that promotion and I was terrified. And I was like, I, I, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing at all. Yeah. So I went back to school and got my, my MBA in uh, international business. And what I realized after getting that, that, you know, that advanced degree was that nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> I just had 56,000 additional dollars of debt now, but <laughs> everyone's full of shit and they're all just hoping to get it right and so if you can if you can understand that then you can operate within that environment right but but there are no right answers i guess when it comes to business and everyone's just trying to figure it out there's a lot of theories out there and there's a lot of different models you can use but really nobody knows what they're doing and they're just trying to make it work and so it's okay for you to not know what you're doing, as long as you are trying your best for the, you know, the organizations you're working for, the people that you support and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, as long as you're not being selfish and as long as you're trying to achieve the end goal, you'll, you'll be fine. Yeah. So why, why go get an MBA versus self-study? Um, that's, a, that's a phenomenal question. You know, back then this was, this was back in 2000, when did I start? 2005. Um, there really wasn't the the trend that there is nowadays of that you don't need um, education or you don't need a formal degree to, to do what you want to do. Um, back then, actually, when I was graduating from college, one of my economics professors said, uh, said to me, you know, this is really great, but everybody nowadays has a bachelor's degree. It's basically like a high school diploma. If you want to set yourself aside, you need to go get an advanced degree. I mean, that's what the professors were telling kids at the time. And so that stuck in my head. And, and, and that's why I went to go get that advanced degree. Now, looking back on it, yeah, I, 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 as I said, I, I gained a lot of expensive knowledge from that that I probably could have gained just through self-study. Right. Um, but hindsight is 2020. Yep. <clears throat> okay. That's fair. Yeah. I've contemplated higher degrees or different degrees kind of just off and on thinking about it, but you know, there's a lot of, at least now there's a lot of other ways to go do it. Right. There's like it's Linda and like the MIT courses online and there's like a thousand other ways to go get more, you know, you spend a hundred dollars and you get this specific piece of information that is like immediately applicable. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think if you're not going to go like be a doctor or a lawyer, like something that requires specific licensing that you can gain the knowledge. Actually, one of the most talented people we have here at Loophole um, is self-taught yeah. in, in everything that she knows. And she's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, I mean, she can build you a right, she can design all of the optics systems, all of the components and actually put the whole thing together. Um, and I think she probably has maybe a high school diploma, but it's you know, self-taught just by going and reading books and 
practice in here you know she's worked at lupo for 35 years or something like that so that's cool yeah no i definitely you can you can teach yourself nowadays which is really nice yeah okay so then moving from um geldwin to you said was it black and decker stanley yeah stanley, stanley black, black and decker. decker yep okay when you made those moves and maybe even from uh stanley black and decker to Leopold, right i know that moving careers is pretty difficult right it, it can be challenging learning a new industry what led you down the path of of moving and what did that feel and look like for you yeah so my first wife um at the time just decided she was done living in Klamath Falls okay uh you know small town she had moved down there when we got married uh and she she made it about nine months and then said I'm out of here nope uh, I'm going to Portland <laughs> so I said oh well all right here I come so that's what that's what got me looking to move. Okay. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, when people are always trying to get into an industry, the, the requirements on the job applications always say, you know, industry experience preferred and all that sort of stuff. But when you go to school, they don't teach you how to market hand tools or they don't teach you how to market wood doors they, right. they teach you how to market widgets mm -hmm. so the concepts are the same the the basics um that you building blocks of a skill set that you need especially within marketing but also within sales and within finance and um within engineering are the same no matter what industry you're in there's nuances um especially in a, in a role like a marketing role what, or even a sales role, what they're really saying is, is we want to buy your Rolodex. We want to know that you have connections that maybe we don't have and we need help with um, when they're saying we, industry experience preferred. Um, because the the nuances for every industry are, are so easy to pick up, right? You can pick them up in a month if you need to, but it's the relationships that take time to build, yeah. um, which, which there's value there. I'm not discounting it. However, um, to move to a different industry in terms of learning those specific information is very, very easy. So yeah, I mean, I, I graduated from college with an economics degree and went right into wood and fenestration products. And I <laughs> then went from that to hydraulic tools. Um, and from hydraulic tools, I actually did a stint. I skipped over a job at a company called um, um, HB Fuller, which is a chemical company. It's like a 3M, you know? So I went to, chemical reinforcing products to optics. There's, there's no thin red thread that ties those industries together. Sure. Right. Um, but learning a new industry is very, very easy. If you apply yourself, as yeah. long as you've got a, a basic fundamental skill set, you can, you can be successful anywhere. What did the application of yourself look like? I mean, like for me, I know when I sit down, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to look at a company, right. Either I know about the company or I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do, you know, if they're public, look at, you know, whatever statements they've got, and I'm going to look at their relationship and how the market views them, right? All of these different things, and then go product by product to understand how to speak the language. How did you go about that? Uh, in the transition? Well, I mean, I just, like you said, I researched it. It, you know, again, like, I know I'm from Oregon, but I'm not a hippie. But this answer is going to be, again, a little bit like, what the fuck is he talking about? So my wife at the time had come home and said, I can't stay in Klamath Falls anymore. I got to move. And the next day I got a call from a recruiter for this Stanley job up in Portland. Yeah. So um, 
I didn't do a lot of research in terms of what I wanted to go do or where I wanted to be. It just sort of presented itself to prepare for that interview. I did the same thing that, you know, any, any career coach will tell you to do is I went and I looked at their website and I looked at what the core values of the company was and what their vision was and what they produce and tried to understand what some of the pitfalls within the industry, that specific industry could be what the opportunities were tried to, and, and then prepared myself for, and this is something that a lot of maybe career coaches don't tell people, but if you're ever getting into any interview, pick three specific accomplishments or projects or tasks that you've done in your past career and just get those focused in your mind. Make sure you remember all the little details above it or about those specific events. Then you can apply those three events to any question that is ever asked of you in an upcoming interview. Mm. As yeah. long, you know, just know a lot of people go into an interview thinking I'm going to see what question comes at me and then I'll just try and answer it on the fly, which some people can do that, right? They can talk, talk on their feet and, and that's, that, that's a phenomenal skill set. But a lot of people will stumble and you'll get a lot of people in interviews going, uh, oh, that's a good question. I'm going to have to think about that a little bit. If you already know that no matter what I get asked, I'm going to answer with one of these three situations then you're going to be fun. you'll be successful in your interview because yeah. you can apply any one of those three situations to whatever question you're asked. And so that's what I did. I learned as much as I could about the company, its values, um, its vision, what its pitfalls may be. And then I had specific projects ready to talk about at the time and um, got the job. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like that. The three things I feel like I've heard that before where it's like, Hey, you know, obviously go into an interview prepared and I've done my fair share of both interview wing and then being the interviewee. Right. And it's, it, you can definitely tell a difference between somebody who is confident in their accomplishments and can speak to it intelligently versus like nerves are winning over all of the experiences that, that they've had, you know? Okay. So, um, you've talked about relationships, right. And kind of building relationships when you get hired on, they obviously want the Rolodex learning an industry, you know, is not too terribly difficult. Um, one thing you mentioned early on is when you moved into loophole, right. And started to take over the marketing space. And this is something I'm, I'm interested in because it's, it's fascinating, right. Is how did you go about getting the organization to buy into marketing being the quarterback? Um, I mean, I'm just fucking persuasive. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's taken a very long time. Um, luckily we have great leadership here in our CEO, um, at loophole and he comes from a, from a marketing branding background. Okay. So he, he, uh, he agrees with that assessment. Um, but it's, it's just persistence. It's just time and it's understanding everyone's motivations, right? So the message is the same, but I craft it differently depending on who I'm talking to based on what they want to achieve, right? Sales wants to achieve a revenue number. Finance wants to achieve a profit number. Engineering production want to achieve an efficiency number. So I tell the same story with sort of just and highlight the result that could be possible based on 
what person I'm talking to wants to hear, for lack of a better way to phrase it. Um, but a lot of people, and, and I don't know how to say this correctly, um, which is ironic running the communications department, but um, a lot of people want to, uh, it sounds authoritarian, but a lot of people just want to be told what to do in a business, in a business setting, right? Sure. They're like, look, I'm here. Somebody give me the vision and I'll execute it. Yeah. And so for marketing to provide that vision, it makes everyone else's life easier. And it's a lot, it's very easy to understand, right? It's been sort of a transition within our society for the last, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years um, for the positive thing that the, the consumer has more power, the consumer has more knowledge and more power and more choices. And so companies have to focus on the consumer and so the story that I tell actually is a lot more, is a lot easier. It honestly doesn't, I don't think has anything to do with me. You know, historically, way back when companies had the power because they controlled all the information and they just said, well, we're going to produce X and we're going to tell you why X is great and you're going to buy it. Now that the consumer has inf- access to all types of information that are not controlled necessarily by by third-party entities, right? They're not, if I go 10 years ago, if I went and read a review online, that review was probably written by somebody that sold advertising to the company and so had to write a positive thing. Now I can go online and I can get a review from a person that actually bought the product or at least claims they bought the product, right? You still have to worry about um, trolls out there and all that sort of stuff, but, but the democratization of information has really helped the consumer. And so therefore companies have to be far more focused on understanding consumer needs and understanding consumer demand, which is why marketing then becomes the quarterback because marketing is all about understanding the consumer, building long-term brand equity through customer insights. I mean, you, you can't, you cannot solve a problem with a communication strategy or a marketing strategy without understanding the, the needs, desires, wants, future needs of the consumer. Yeah. And so as marketing, you know, marketing has always sort of been that consumer insights department as that it became more and more important. So did the natural progression to becoming the, the play caller. Okay. So in all of that, because I'm listening and understand what you're saying in all of that, what was the hardest lesson learned when it came to the democratization of consumer information? I've never had to learn a painful lesson in that sense, because I've always worked for world-class companies Mm -hmm. that had world-class products. But one of the very painful things that a lot of companies have had to deal with is um, if they don't make a world-class product or they don't offer a world-class service, they are, their long-term viability goes way, way down, yeah. right? Because they, you, can't, you can't be a snake oil salesman for long anymore. Um, you have to offer true value to the consumer. Um, you know, I think, and in terms of a, a, a again, I, I haven't 
I haven't had to deal with it a lot. I, I saw a lot of maybe the old guard in companies just sort of walk themselves into retirement when that sure. started happening because, you know, more on the production side of things, not here at Loophole, but at, um, at one of the uh, the other companies I worked for there, you know, they would want to do production a certain way to to drive efficiencies, but long-term that wouldn't have led to the best product, uh, but they were going to do it anyway. Yeah, um, that's fair. That, uh, that person I learned after I left that company, he, he lasted about four or five more months and then... Yeah he got run out just because that type of, that type of activity was absolutely unacceptable for again, long-term viability based on consumer experiences. Yeah. Okay. So then in all of your either professional, educational, personal experience, what are some of the things that you wish you would have known going into all of this? And that's a super open-ended It's one of my favorite loaded questions. No, it's, and it's, it's a great question. And I think it does a disservice to the adults in my life at the time to say, I didn't know this, but I just didn't listen. Um, You know, looking back on things, I wish I would have gone a route where I had developed a, a true, how do I phrase this? Because I don't want to say I'm not skilled, but an, an independent skill, like I should have gone and become a doctor yeah. or um, a plumber or anything where I can go hang up my own shingle and work wherever I want. Yeah. Um, you know, the job that I do now is fantastic and I, and I love it, but I am tethered to where the company headquarters are yeah you know i'm i'm from oregon i love oregon but if anybody's watched the news especially in the area i live in right now it's going to hell in a handbasket fast as fuck yeah so you know what the options that are available to me are cool i can ride this burning ship into the cavern or if I want another job, I got to look at a location where there's another corporation that needs the sort of skill set that I can provide. Where if I had gone and gotten, you know, my doctorate or my law degree, or you know, I had my own electrician's business, I'd be like, sweet, I want to go live, you know, in Timbuktu, and I can open up a shop there and do that. Um, medicine also is an interesting one because people are always going to get sick. People are constantly <laughs> job sick, security. Right? So there's job security there. Um, and you know, one of the, the other things for from a young perspective is when I was 18, I was not ready to go to college. Yeah. Um, I really I should have joined the military. I wish I had joined the military um or done some sort of service program, right? J- just you know, there the there's some there's some countries out there like Switzerland and Korea and Israel and and um, I think there's a, there's a bunch more out there that have sort of a mandatory service thing, um, and I don't know if it's because they just need the bodies in the military or if they recognize that a lot of people at 18 are not ready to make that transition to full life decisions. Right? They right. need that sort of 
they need that sort of intermediary piece where they've got more freedom, but there's still structure where they can figure things out. Um, so I really wish I would have done moved into the military and spent the time learning who I was, um, growing and maturing a little bit and getting a little bit more of that outside life experience without having to pay ridiculous amounts of money to a college. Um, you know, so, and I, I paid for all of my own school through loans and, and work. So it, they were expensive lessons. Uh, so yeah, that's what, that's what I wish I would have known. But again, I was too immature at the time I went and I had talked to all the, the military recruiters and my mom told me, you know, you're not joining the military. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know, looking back now, it's like, no, I was an 18 year old man. I could have done whatever I wanted, but I just, I didn't even know that. I didn't know. I was like, no, mom said, no, I can't do it. Right. So I guess I'm just going to go do this. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm hearing recognize immaturity for one. Yeah. And, uh, develop kind of like a self-sustaining skill to a certain extent. Absolutely. Okay. You have to be able to offer value. Okay. So another question is, um, it's interesting because I talked to a lot of guys that are not necessarily in on the business side of the outdoor industry, right? I've talked to a couple, what, what advice or things would you like folks to know that are interested maybe in working for Leopold, right? That are like, Hey, listen, I love hunting. I love being outside. I love shooting, whatever the case may be. And I want to go work for Leopold. What, what do you feel like people should know for working in an outdoor industry company? Um, that's it. So I would answer, I, I would do it a little cynically and I would say Instagram is not real. So if you want to go, if you want to work in the outdoor industry, I would try and understand your motivations for that first. Yeah. Right. If you think that going to work in the outdoor industry means I'm going to get to hunt all the time and post my pictures on social media and people will love me. That's not what it means to work in the industry. Um, working, I mean, that's what it means for some people to be quote unquote in the industry, but that's, that's not what, what employees at Leupold or Hornady or Browning or Weatherby or, you know, the, the companies that make up the backbone of the shooting sports industry, that's not what they do. Right. They hunt and shoot on their own because they love it. And it's a passion. And if you're passionate about it and you want to contribute to it, then for sure you can find roles at any one of those brands. Um, so I would just have people sort of look at what their motivations are. Um, and then if you wanted to get in, you know, at a job at a company like, like Leupold, um, if you're, you know, it just depends on where people are in their career, but say they're just coming out of college and they're just looking to, to get a foot in the door, you know, be willing to take any job available. You know, a lot of the, like the vice president of product here at Leupold started out as what we call tech service person, which is the person that answers the phones mm-hmm. um, and, and deals with customers that have questions about something or want to order a CDS dial or, you know, want to check on where the product shipping, whatever. Um, you know, he had, he had his master's degree in teaching, but he just wanted, like you're saying, he wanted to work in the outdoor industry. He wanted to be a part of Leupold. So he took a job answering phones. It's a great actual base for being successful here in Leupold because you have to know everything about every product we've ever made. Yeah. Um, 
because especially at a company like like loophole that you know we've been around for well over a century and we've been making scopes for well over 75 years and those scopes don't break you have people that are still calling asking about a scope that they bought in 1950 yeah. you know and so you have to know everything about that yeah um so it's a great base to learn and then I mean, the keys to success in life are not hard. It's work hard. Put your head down and grind. Don't mm -hmm. expect anything and people will reward you. And that's that's how it happened here. Like I said, the, the VP of product who started out answering the phones just was the hardest working guy in tech service. And so then he got moved into a um, sales sales customer support role or something like that. And then he got moved to uh, a marketing specialist role. Then he got moved to a, at the time we called it a program manager. We don't, we don't have that role anymore. And then he became a product line manager and then he became the vice president of product, but his, he's no more gifted than anyone else other than his work ethic and his desire to succeed. Yeah. Can so, I, I mean, it's, again, it's, they're all cliche sort of things, but if you work hard, if you know what you want, right, you got to pick a goal and then work hard, you'll get there. But if it's, I want to get into the hunting industry to become famous, like, eh, okay, sure. You can probably do that too. That's a goal, but you're going to have to work hard on it. At yeah. It. Yeah. Not, nothing is overnight. Nothing is overnight. Yeah. Cam Haynes, um, who is a, you know, really big name in the, in the endurance sports as well as in the, the hunting sports is probably one of the best uh, archery best known archery hunters in the world always says you know i was working on my I, i'm totally butchering it and paraphrasing it but it's like you know i spent 20 years becoming an overnight success yeah so yeah it, you you have to just keep as he says hammering but you just keep you just grind figure out what you want to do and work hard at it and you'll yeah. get your rewards yeah i love it i love it Okay. Well, I feel like I have, I'm fresh out of questions. Is there anything, is there anything that you've learned or don't get asked often enough or feel like you've gleaned from life that is worth sharing that you, uh, you don't feel like you get to offer up often enough? Um, that's a, it's a very interesting question. So I'm still, I feel like very, very young. Um, and I, I tell a lot of the people that work for me, that that are younger than I am um you know life is is long so don't worry about your success right now right it's okay to make mistakes it's okay to figure things out um because you're not supposed to be CEO at 27 yeah. you know it's okay to spend time um figuring out what you want to do. And it's okay to make mistakes. Making mistakes is the best way to learn. Um, and, and learning is actually what ultimately helps you succeed. So I had a vice president, I'm totally going to steal his, his words of advice to me when I was 27, 28, 29, something like that. Um, and, and I know it upsets a lot of younger people to hear it. And, and it doesn't apply to everybody, but I'm going to say in your, in your twenties, you yearn in your 30s, you learn, and in your 40s, you earn. So 
a lot of people, the young people, they want to make it now. They want to be successful now. And I get that. So did I. Shit, man, I was angry all the time because I wasn't running companies when I was 25. Like, <laughs> God, those people were idiots. How come I can't? Why aren't they need me to do that? Um, but it, 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 it just, you know, you'll get there, I yeah. guess, is, is the thing. Be patient. Be willing to make mistakes, know you're going to make mistakes and know that's okay. And, and everything will be all right. Okay. Yep. My dad, my dad says something similar about making mistakes and I, and I always forget, but basically don't, it's okay to make uh, mistakes as long as they're not life-threatening. And he says it much more eloquently, but basically it's like, as long as you don't kill yourself or ruin yourself for the future, mistakes are okay. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you talking. This was, uh, this was fun. This it's, it's, it was a good conversation because it was different than some of the other ones I've had. You know, I talked to a lot of guys, like I said, that are cops and, you know, mill guys and whatever, but this is one where it's like, I can relate much, much better. <laughs> oh, good. Well, God, I wasn't sure if that was like, oh, this is different, like a bent fork. So no, no, no. This was like, or... this was good because it's, you know, like I said, I feel like a lot of my audience, it, it feels like is pretty, like, I would say, you know, younger right so i think that talking about jobs and you know i think that it helps it helps provide insight for people that might be coming out of whatever career path that they're in whether that's college or the military or police that are looking for something that's like hey how do i how do i think about what happens next right and it's like well it doesn't happen overnight you gotta fucking work for it but you can end up doing some really cool stuff you know absolutely and, and the world and companies reward people that work hard. You don't have to work hard for long until things start happening for you. Yeah. Then the harder you work, the further up you're going to go. But it's not like you're going to have to grind for 20 years and then you're going to get to do something you like. It's like you work hard for six months. People are going to be like, hey, that's that's a go getter. Yeah. You yep. do more with them. That's true. That's true. Shane, man, once again, thank you for taking the time. I uh, learned a whole heck of a lot, and it was a lot of fun for me being able to relate to your story uh, a little bit more because, you know, kind of like you, I have no military or law enforcement background, so it was a lot of fun kind of knowing that there are paths people can take that don't have uh, those types of experiences but have the passion for the outdoor industry that can take their uh, background in education, for instance, uh, to go pursue uh, growth and development in the outdoor industry. So I hope everybody listening, I hope you all took some good information away and, uh, yeah, uh, be sure to like, subscribe, and review the show. Otherwise, we will catch you next time.